Hi everyone, welcome to our podcast, The Animal Heartbeats. I'm here with my friend and vet cardiologist, Kieran. And in this episode today, we'll be talking about heart murmurs in puppies. We'll discuss how to approach a murmur in a puppy. And uh, we'll discuss about differential diagnosis of different types of murmurs and also more complex congenital heart defect, which may be more challenging to diagnose on clinical exam. Yeah, I think the topic today is going to be super interesting for um, a lot of people out there because this is tough, isn't it? When we see heart murmurs in these young dogs that look healthy, um, it can be really challenging to know what to do for the best. I sort of came into practice thinking, well, I'll just wait and see. I'll, I'll reassess this dog at four months old. So I used to pull them back and say, come back at four months. And then I, I came to realize that actually that's not the best approach. Uh, because if you have a dog, I don't know how many dogs you've seen with a PDA that are in heart failure by four months of age. I, I certainly have seen them and, and it's definitely not in their interest to wait. Um, and maybe, you know, that the first time of it, here's a PDA, they don't auscultate right over the PDA. They don't auscultate high enough or cranial enough. It's it's really, you know, loudest right behind the triceps muscle, which is even higher than the base, isn't it? It's not like a, an aortic basilar murmur or a pulmonic basilar murmur. And I think if people just listen to the apex and even just the standard kind of level of the heart base, then you may just hear a systolic component. It may be a grade three or even a grade two. But if you listen high up behind the triceps, you might have a, a grade four or grade five continuous murmur, which of course I think most vets would say, oh, that's a problem. We won't wait and see with this one. But the difficulty with the wait and see approach is I would caution against it. Because as you say, I think I think there are problems that could happen there. Um, now, it's very easy for us to say, okay, let's echo it. You know, I think we would both find it very quick to echo. Um, it, it's easy to get an answer even from quite a basic echo, but we're very privileged in that, that scenario. So what would your advice be to vets in primary care practice? You hear this, this puppy has got a murmur. You think it, it may be a grade three, four on the left side somewhere, and it's a boxer dog. Is there anything that you would say other than do an echo? Is there any other path that they could take for this case? Just regarding auscultation, I, I also wanted to stress that to, to get experience in trying to, to, to detect thrills will be, is really right. important. Because that in some cases, that will allow us to detect that high chest PDA murmur that we could have missed if we just auscultate more close to the sternum. And so uh, I generally recommend our residents before grabbing their stethoscope to start having that feeling that 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 memory that muscle memory of feeling the heart beat yeah. Uh, yeah. and that, yeah. that gives you a great great feeling in terms of how well can you feel the heartbeat and if there's a murmur uh, where where if there is a thrill then you of course will guide your stethoscope to where you detect the thrill and 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 sometimes i even even when there's a clear thrill with, with, with residents, they do not detect the thrill. And I think sometimes the problem is people just leave their fingers on top of the ribs. I think it's really important that the fingers are, are, are in the in the, in the ribs. It's space, the intercostal in the space, muscle, isn't in it? In the intercostal space, feel, exactly, yeah. to really yeah. feel the thrill. And so I think, so one recommendation to me that I always do it myself is before grabbing my stethoscope, I have a good feel of, yeah. of the heart to try to feel thrills, to, to see if I detect something funny. Because um, then, of course, if there's a thrill, that must be taken very, very seriously. Um, Absolutely. Is, is, a, is a clear indication that these, these dog will have a significant heart defect that needs to be addressed. Um, but especially just to reinforce what, to stress again what you said, 
Uh, it's a difficult conversation with clients because we are talking sure. about completely normal puppies. Initially, they are PDIs, pulmonary stenosis. So Who are, they are playful, completely normal. Exactly, they're running exactly, around. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. And suddenly you ask them to spend 500,000 pounds. Uh, 500,000. <laughs> I mean, 500,000. You're two, expensive, Jesse. That's, that's Cambridge. Uh, <laughs> I mean, some, something between five hundred to thousand pounds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apologies for for <laughs> an assessment by a cardiologist in a puppy that is very normal. So I, I, I it's challenging. Um, I, I generally, what I think is important for to to talk to clients is to explain that there are at very least two conditions, two heart defects that can be easily fixed. And there, there is now centers uh, all over the UK that uh, yeah. provide that that, that that those minimally invasive procedures. Uh, and even if there's not a minimally invasive procedure for them for PDIs, is there is there are solution. There is a solution for for those cases. So I think it's important for the client to understand that that will have a major impact if a, if a, if a puppy has a, a fixable uh, a disease that may be corrected. Um, right. So, so the diagnosis is important isn't it it's not just oh your puppy has something bad and it doesn't really matter what it is actually it it really matters what it is because obviously if we see a a pda well we we can close that so our preference is always to go for a minimally invasive approach transarterial or a transvenous approach to close a pda because it's the least impact on the puppy however there are things that are more financially viable for people on a budget that are available out there. So there are good options out there, even, um, you know, for PDAs uh, where the owner may not be insured or or may not be able to finance a a sort of cardiologist type procedure. With congenital heart defect, as you were saying, you need a diagnosis. And next you need to stage the disease. Okay, you have the diagnosis. uh, And then you need, of course, to understand how severe if how severe the, the defect is, does it require correction? Is it indicated for correction? And what the prognosis might be if 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 it doesn't go ahead for for a minimum invasive procedure and so on. So we more we need a diagnosis and we need to stage the disease. And, and unfortunately, that equals an echocardiogram, a very mm. thorough, careful echocardiogram. Because unfortunately, thoracic X-rays, ECGs. Uh, are not are not very useful, uh, especially when patients are not symptomatic. Um, can give you some tips certainly. Can can with a very good clinical exam, a good X-ray, uh, can give you some tips of what might be going on. But we will need echo to fully diagnose the the, the condition to understand if there are no m- more than one congenital defect potentially, and then yes. to stage it to 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 assess the severity. Um, so. And unfortunately, this means echo. I say unfortunately because if the client cannot afford an echo, it's indeed a difficult situation. I mean, are... we do echo, right? So for us, it's fortunate. Great, fantastic. Yeah, we, yeah, uh, yeah. we we get to do what we love. Yeah. Um, but but you're right. It's a big deal for an owner or, or the care of an animal um, to, to go through the stress of, oh, I'm worried he's got a heart defect. And of course, a, a puppy is full of hope and joy. It represents the sort of future of a family or of a, of a relationship with a pet. And then if if they're worried about this animal having potentially terminal disease, that's a huge amount of stress, isn't it, to be put under for, for the owner. And, you know, I often find they come into the consult room and they're they're burdened with, with stress and worry. And we can echo them and go, hey, look, actually, you've got something here which uh, untreated is bad, but but we can treat it. And it is in our power to do something positive for your dog. 
they're a different person. They, they feel massively empowered and, and uh, able to kind of deal with uh, with this going forward. So I think I think actually getting an answer, to, to be honest, even not a good answer, people know at least that there's nothing they can do maybe if, if it's a bad disease or there's something really positive they can do. I've certainly had people who leave the consult room and say, oh, I can't, you know, I can't afford a, a, a transarterial procedure, but I'm going to go and talk to my vet or, or, or a surgeon about um, ligating a PDA uh, or they go and crowdfund it. Um, and I've had people go away and crowdfund um, procedures for these patients in in two, three days, um, you know, which is it's not something I can help them with. And, and you know, we can't promote that, obviously, because it's a massive conflict of interest trying to raise money for our own fees. Um, but but it's great that owners are able to do that and that that's a route by which they can help their animal. You were talking about radiographs and ECGs and how they're generally not useful for these. I, I would agree. I was trying to think, I wonder if there is a scenario in which we took a radiograph and it was totally normal. And I'd be really happy to say there's nothing significant there. And actually, I think the only scenario would be if we had a right-sided grade five murmur. So I'm thinking my main differential for this is either something like bad tricuspid dysplasia, which sometimes you do get these vibrations causing a grade five murmur, or more commonly, a small resistive ventricular septal defect. The flow is going from the left to the right through a tiny hole, causing a big high velocity jet and a big murmur on the right. If I've got that patient in front of me and I take a radiograph, and there is absolutely no cardiomegaly. I'm really confident in my radiograph. There's no venous distension, there's no arterial distension. Um, the, the, the lungs are, are nicely inflated. You've got a good inspiratory image. The right heart's completely normal on there. And then maybe I repeat that a couple of months later to make sure it's still identical. Maybe, maybe I'd be happy to say that is probably a resistive VSD and it's nothing to worry about. That is about the one context that I think I would be comfortable to use radiographs to make that diagnosis. And it does rely upon really confident physical examination and a really nice radiographic set of images, which I'm really confident interpreting. Most people won't feel that degree of confidence. And and that is that only one scenario. I think even with a a grade five left basilar murmur, I'd want to check on an echo that this wasn't something like a, a a resistive outlet VSD, which can localize to the base sometimes, um, and therefore something we never have to worry about ever again. Or is it something like a pulmonic stenosis that we can do something about? Or is it something like an aortic stenosis where we can do less about, and we may have to think about medical treatment, we may have to think about a, a shorter lifespan. There's a whole heap of things it could be. So I think an echo really is the only way to go for those murmurs. Is there a murmur you would hear and say, I don't want to echo it, because this is this has got to be a flow murmur or something so mild that your referral is, is, it's not a waste of time. It gives peace of mind. It gives information. It gives knowledge. But for an owner who might be under some financial stress, is there a circumstance where an auscultation you would say, forget about it? Tricky question. But I think, I think the, the example to me would be a boxer with a, a two out of six basilar murmur where right. I, I only detect a murmur really at the base under the armpit, high in the chest. I can only hear the murmur that very careful auscultation. And the only place I can find the murmur in a boxer is high in the chest. Uh, this is most likely to be associated either with a, a flow murmur or a mild form of subaortic stenosis. Um, and mild form of subaortic stenosis are associated with, with, with a very good long-term prognosis. Um, yeah. uh, we, and we, in defense, we, we face that sometimes in referral practice in the place where I've worked, like a classic a boxer that another service finds a murmur, 
and they want a pre-GA assessment. Um, and and it's not uncommon we, we, that then we end up discussing clients that may not need a boxer that needs surgery and may, they don't have the funds and so on to say, well, uh, in terms of probabilities, again, if we want, this is a boxer. Uh, the murmur is very mild at the left base, so soft. So this is this. I think that would be the scenario in comparison with your your example of mm. a case that I'm I'm a bit more relaxed. Again, if if they want to know for sure, you need an echo. I think that would be the scenario. Before I wanted also to to hear what, if if you have a different opinion about that, but just to stress what you just said, as a rule. Murmur grade is associated with disease severity, and that's true for myxomatous mitral valve disease, and it's true for subaortic stenosis, pulmonary stenosis. Yeah. And the, the exception is the VSD that, that, that you just mentioned. Um, so just for any vet out there that has not realized that, I'm sure everyone knows this but now, I'm sure, but just the VSD is an exception where a very loud murmur is associated with a resistive, restrictive defect and so associated with, with very good outcomes. And so is, is the exception. Otherwise, a loud murmur, unfortunately, most of the times would mean an advanced or significant, clinically significant uh, cardiac defect. Um, so, so if you have um, that scenario where you have a puppy who's got a very quiet murmur, what clues on physical examination or history might make you think, actually, this is more significant. This is more likely to be a, either a complex congenital heart disease or a large VSD with a significant overload or, or, or whatever. What What are your other cues that make you more concerned? So in, in case like that, I would already expect some clinical signs. So if we have a mild, a soft murmur that is associated with a large VSD that might be now bidirectional uh, or, or a, a more complex congenital defect, um, I would expect clinical signs. I would expect that the, the, the puppy is not exercising as 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 a, a, a normal puppy should be. Uh, they they may not be, be putting the weight as they should. Uh, talking to the client, sometimes they will uh, describe that the puppy stops playing suddenly, and then carefully asking, they may have noticed right. that the, the mucous membranes may get very pale or or slightly or slightly cyanotic. So I think in case that. A soft murmur is associated with, with a more complex congenital heart defect. I think these puppies have, have some symptoms. One, one of the big challenges, I, I completely agree with you, and I actually think muscle condition or, 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 or body condition is really important because often we get those puppies. And again, at vet school, I was taught, you know, maybe these animals are stunted. And, and when I graduated, I didn't know what a normal norwegian kisant looked like uh to be honest i, I don't know uh, i think i've only ever seen one basenji for example and you know there's plenty of breeds out there i don't know what what their puppies are supposed to look like and obviously now we have i don't know the cockapoo goodness me cockapoos come in all shapes and sizes so i i, I don't know how how stunted one is compared to the next i think body condition is important because often they're quite skinny you really feel their ribs and you think oh this this puppy you know it's got that normal puppy pot belly but the ribs are, are really prominent or the spine is prominent. And I think those guys, often when you find that, I think, oh, yeah, maybe it is a little small for a Labrador at 10 weeks old. Um, so I think often with bad congenital disease, these, these complex diseases, VSDs, uh, tetralogy of fallow, truncus arteriosus, these very complicated things, uh, AV septal defects, they're, they're not so common. But when they present, even with a quiet murmur or no murmur at all, there are other cues that warn you about something going on. 
one of the problems actually with the sort of idea of interrogating the history about exercise and behavior and things is, is number one, they might be a first time dog owner. So they don't have a frame of reference. They, you know, oh, well, the last Labrador we had did this. If it's their first dog, they say, oh, he's, he sleeps a lot. Yeah. That's what puppies do. Actually, I mean, obviously they, they're on or off and, and some owners don't understand that. I think the other thing is, is brachycephalic dogs are really hard to assess. Their, their breathing's hard to assess, sure. But, you know, they may stop during exercise because they're, they've got a respiratory tract obstruction. They may make respiratory noise. They may even experience syncope episodes or, or sort of pre-syncope because of the nature of their brachycephalic uh, confirmations. So those guys are really hard. And of course, the breeds that we tend to see, not tend to, but that we often see complex congenital disease in are brachycephalics. So I think they are, they're really challenging and, and breeds definitely important for me in, in assessing these. Um, circling back to what you said about boxer dogs, I totally agree with that. That was exactly my scenario uh, where I would have gone. Yeah, it's probably nothing to worry about. The other one is that sometimes I see small dogs, uh, often these small white dogs, so one year old, two years old, actually with quite a musical murmur. And I don't know if you if you can identify with this, but the, the murmur sounds like a they're very hard to grade, you know, because they sort of resonate. So they sound louder than the heart sounds. But I when they have that resonant frequency, that musical quality, I, I find it hard to grade them. So I would call them musical, loud. I don't know if them being louder than the heart sounds mean there's worse disease. I don't think that's always true. And many of those one-year-old, two-year-old little white dogs, they they will have flow murmurs that are quite um, musical, sort of aortic flow murmurs. And often you echo them and you can't see anything at all. And you measure their aortic flow velocities and they're just sort of, I don't know, 1.8, 1.9 meters per second, where you're just thinking, okay, well, it's not stenotic. There's no 2D lesions for stenosis. There's nothing here that says there's a congenital defect, but the flow is a little bit fast. And maybe that's enough to cause that vibration. And sometimes on the continuous wave trace uh, of the outflow in those dogs, you'll see a little musical frequency, uh, like vocalizing. Have you seen that or am I just making this up? Am I talking rubbish? No, I agree. I, 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 I did. I spent a lot of time to look for chordae vibration, mitral right. valve vibration. Okay. The MMO, yeah. the, no, no, I spent a lot of time and I probably most of the times failed to find anything. Generally, the case we hear with musical seagull, I like the seagull call. Um, seagull call. Yeah. Do an impression, <laughs> do an impression for us of the seagull uh, murmur. <laughs> ah. <clears throat> Uh, this is not a seagull. Well, it's a oh, Portuguese yeah, nice. seagull. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This I can, is, this is, is a, a Portuguese hog, seagull. It's a, a Portuguese seagull with cough. Um, uh. it's, but yeah, I, I think this honk, yeah, honking song, the sound. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so we generally see it when we see them, are like early mitral valve disease associated generally with, with vibration of the, the mitral sure. valve leaflets, very early uh, mitral valve insufficiency, mitral valve prolapse, and so on. So then when I hear that in young puppies, I also try for a long time to, to look on echo if I see anything like that, vibration of a chordae, uh, mitral mm. valve, aortic valve vibrations, uh, which generally I fail. And then the, it is also important for vets to, to detect those, those musical sounds, because then if you detect them, it is another scenario which you could say, even though it, sounds very very loud generally right. they're associated with a rather benign process you need it's an true. 
but generally associated with a rather benign benign process. We've mentioned breed here. Are, are there any other typical sort of breed predilections that you see for blow murmurs initially? So we, you mentioned boxer dogs, and I, I completely agree with that. Uh, the little white dogs, I don't know how else to describe them. They're often crossbred, some sort of terrier cross, hairier than a Jack Russell. I don't know. At uh, least these sort of, you know, juvenile dogs, not puppies, really. I think also for me, uh, English bull terriers, they often have, like the boxer dog, quite a small aorta. I think, relative to ventricular size, which has two implications for us as cardiologists. One is they often have sort of grade two, three murmurs at the left base, which could just be flow and not actually really a congenital disease. The second implication is that if we are echoing them and measuring their left atrial size and our default is to measure LAAO, so left atrial diameter to aortic root ratio, they're going to measure large. And uh, this has generated a whole heap of discussion and, and things amongst uh, cardiologists. Um, but, you know, boxer dogs have a bigger LAAO because they're all too small as a breed. Um, it's nothing to do with their atrium, I don't think. Um, are there any other breeds that jump out for you? I, I agree. Brachycephalic dogs, generally brachycephalic dogs are, are, are the ones I, I, I have that problem. I, 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 I wanted also to say, as, as you mentioned before, those brachycephalic puppies, especially when they, they have severe boas, uh, they are incredibly challenging to assess and also to, to auscultate the, their heart. And so mm. those are the guys that sometimes murmurs are missed, that you have a lot of hyperrespiratory noises referred uh, in the chest. So very, those, those are guys very barrel-shaped. Um, those right. are the guys that sometimes I think we end up detecting congenital heart defects when they are two, three, four, five. Right. Uh, or when they present with right-sided heart failure or something exactly, or AF exactly. or something. Yeah, and, yeah, and I agree. A murmur, a murmur was missing. And, and, but those are challenging dogs to, to do good clinical examinations. The, the, other, the other flow murmurs I, I generally detect in our clinic are, would, are like deep chest dogs, like greyhounds, whippets. It, it's the sight uh, hands for me, yeah. Yeah, yeah the sight yeah. hands, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think what's what's quite important to say about these breeds that we're talking about now is often these guys can be two, three, four, five years old and they all still have a murmur. It's not about them being a puppy. It's about their confirmation. But of course, because it's there from from birth and actually in juvenile dogs, you know, owing to the maturation of bone marrow and, and changes to blood viscosity and things, those murmurs may be transiently a bit louder when they're the sort of age where they're being vaccinated and, and, and neutered and things. So this is often when they're picked up. And, and the first thought um, could be, oh, I'm really worried about congenital heart disease. It's not wrong to worry about that. Of course, we're cardiologists. We see bad congenital disease. But if we can identify that these murmurs are quiet, they're focal, maybe they change with heart rate. That's another factor to, that might hint at a flow murmur is their dynamic. So they increase uh, in intensity at higher heart rates and decrease in intensity at lower heart rates. Um, they don't radiate widely across the chest, you know, and sometimes maybe they're absent, actually, that they can be intermittent. These are all findings that would make me say, okay, this, this dog's more likely to have a flow murmur or something so mild that it's not relevant to the dog. Now, the proviso there is that, you know, there's no clinical science. They're well grown. And if they're not a little puppy, it's easier to assess their body condition, their muscle condition, their exercise tolerance, because they've been tested. You know, they've been out for a run with the owner, maybe. Oh, yeah. He, you know, I, I run 10K. He must do 25, uh, you know, across the sand dunes in South Wales. Well, that dog probably doesn't have significant heart disease. So I think I think contextualizing these these murmurs is important. If you have the same murmur, a little low grade, you know, grade two left basilar murmur in a puppy that's that's poor body condition is not exercising well um you know maybe the respiratory rate's a little higher than you'd like it to be 
those are big red flags for me. And that's a murmur that should be investigated compared to the murmur that you might just ignore in a, a two-year-old robust boxer dog. So I think I think breed does come into it. The next thing we should think about, uh, you know, we talked about the sort of context and, and the body condition and clinical signs of these, these murmurs. What about a breeder who comes to you or an owner who says, oh, I, I just I just love her so much. I really want to I really want to have a litter of puppies. But this young boxer dog has got a grade two, maybe a three at higher heart rates, left basil and murmur. We've said that maybe it's not significant for the dog. Maybe it's a mild subaortic stenosis. Um, the dog's asymptomatic and grown well. The scenario is quite different, isn't it, when you're planning to breed? Exactly. It's it's a completely different league. Similar to, to, to HCM screening, we are we are then looking for perfect dogs or cats. Uh, and so we need to be sure that they do not have any an underlying structural heart disease, even if, if even if very mild. Um, yeah. because the, what the breeders would potentially uh, breeders are breeders know a lot about genetics nowadays and they're very mm-hmm. well informed and try to do a very or drew a very thorough work but maybe a more cheeky breeder breeder could tell what oh, this is just mild and uh, is a great dog so i would i would anyway uh use use this dog in my lines um mm-hmm. the problem of course if a, a mildly affected dog with another mildly affected dog may cause very very sick puppies um and, and there's and, good data supporting that isn't there from the yeah, 70s from yeah. the 80s you know lee pyle's work on aortic yeah. stenosis and all, all of that stuff yeah. is yeah. is critical to our understanding there yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so in those cases, in fact, the, 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 the breed screening for boxers requires that uh, we first auscultate a dog and detect them and look for a murmur. If there is no murmur, great, they are, they are, they are clear. Uh, if there is a murmur, depending on the grade, there is still very soft murmurs. You can still auscultate them later on. But you would, mm. I, I would recommend an echo for a breeder that wants to do a very thorough work, that wants to be sure that their lines are clean. Uh, I, I, in that case, we definitely definitely need an echo. So with breeders, uh, is is indeed a different a different league and a different scenario mm. because we are we want to know if this dog has a perfect heart, um, and the the cost is huge. If then they start having 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 litters and puppies or or, or sell those puppies and so on, uh, it the cost is huge. And I think the impact of 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 one dog especially a male dog is is massive isn't it in the breeding population um so there's a really good example not from congenital heart disease but from uh, arrhythmic cardiomyopathy in boxer dogs uh, formerly boxer cardiomyopathy or arvc when actually in the uk at least you can trace back many 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 of the affected dogs through their pedigree lines to a dog uh, called abel seaman which was imported uh, you know years ago and actually this this dog uh, ironically named has has bred widely because he was a grand champion and, and passed on the, the genetics for this awful disease to lots and lots of dogs yeah. so if we have a, a dog with a very mild aortic stenosis but has potential to to throw the genes out there and, and combine them with other genes in the female dogs to to generate severe aortic stenosis that could actually be a sort of a huge welfare impact on the population and of course if it is a good dog we don't want to exclude them just on the basis of a murmur you know because it is a boxer dog so i think i think an echo in those cases um not, not only helps us to think about excluding the dog if there is bad disease well any disease but also it helps us to include the dog if there's no disease because we don't want to narrow the gene pool. 
there's huge examples through um, throughout the history of, of uh, breed screening in veterinary medicine of of people rashly excluding animals from a population, and then later on seeing the impacts negatively on the genetics of that population. The one that springs to mind for me uh, is ragdoll cats with HCM, where the genetic test came out in 2007, um, was commercially available. Anything that had a positive heterozygous homozygous was excluded from the population, which narrowed the gene pool. And the breeders all decided in the UK, well, hey, let's let's back cross these with Persian cats because the ragdoll line has some Persian in anyway. Let's expand that. And now the ragdolls since then have a lot more polycystic kin disease, which is traditionally a Persian, Persian disease. It's tough. And we don't know what we're doing with this. So I think for me, um, it's paramount not to excessively narrow the gene pool in a breed, but we've got to take these mild murmurs seriously, I think. Um, I agree. Totally agree. We 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 have been talking and the, the topic is heart murmurs in puppies. But let's say, can you can you comment on congenital heart and the majority of congenital heart disease we see will cause a heart murmur? But can you comment on congenital heart disease that may not cause a heart murmur? Uh, and as this might be important for vets to be aware of. Yeah, and that's hard, isn't it? You know, because uh, it's hard to say there's no congenital disease here based on physical exam. The, the classic diseases we see, certainly in, in, in Europe, um, the big three diseases in, in dogs are pulmonic stenosis, number one, um, aortic stenosis, number two, PDA, number three. Oh, they're very close together, those, those second two. And then I think probably VSDs after that. In cats, it's all VSDs, pretty much. And uh, VSDs and horrible complex disease is what I see in cats. Um, I, I, you know, yesterday we did a balloon valgoplasty in a cat with pulmonic stenosis, but that's very uncommon, uh, you know, for, for me and cats. It's all VSDs. So dogs have a much greater range of congenital heart diseases. And I think anything where there's a large VSD is a very serious disease, but often doesn't have a murmur. Tetralogy of fallow, which of course is a VSD, malpositioned aorta, right ventricular changes, and a pulmonic hypoplasia, those cases will have a murmur from, from the pulmonary stenosis induced by the hypoplastic pulmonary artery. But things like uh, a truncus arteriosus, say, where we have a large VSD, a single vessel coming off the, the common ventricle, if you like, which then goes to the, um, the, the, the pulmonary artery separate to the aortic arch, th those cases won't have a murmur. But they'll be cyanotic looking, they'll be uh, weak, they'll be undergrown. Um, you know, there are huge problems with those dogs and, and they should be reasonably obvious on, on physical exam. I've seen a couple of cases of truncus arteriosus in cats in middle age. So cats are different. They don't show the same signs that dogs do. We know that. I, I think the other thing is atrioventricular septal defects, um, formerly known as, as uh, endocardial cushion defects. Um, you know, these, these are basically a, a low ASD, so a primum type ASD, um, an inlet VSD, and AV valve malformations. Now, they may have significant valve regurgitation, uh, which causes a murmur, or they may not. Um, depending on the sort of where they are on the spectrum of of uh, complete atrioventricular septal defects all the way through to sort of partials, um, the, the murmur varies according to the specific hemodynamics in that patient. I've certainly seen them with no, no murmur at all, and they've got a shocking heart that just fills the chest and goes wall to wall in the thorax, um, and, and their prognosis can be pretty terrible uh, unless open heart surgery is, is an option. I'm trying to think of, of oh, of course, a right to left PDA is a classic. Um, you know, so these are often dogs where they have a large PDA uh, more often than not. And the, the typical time for these, these right to left PDA dogs to present is actually around age one or two. 
and they often don't present to cardiology. They either present to neurology for hind limb weakness exercise or hind limb collapse exercise, and people think they're neurological. Or they present to internal medicine. Or polycythemia, I should say. Erythrocytosis is the correct term um, because it's a non-neoplastic proliferation of red blood cells. And actually, that is appropriate, that polycythemia, because these dogs are are right to left shunting through their PDA. They've got severe pulmonary hypertension, which is the same or or, or higher pressure than the the aorta. And during exercise, they they get hypoxic hind limbs. Their kidneys receive a huge amount of deoxygenated blood. So the erythropoietin kicks in and pushes their PCV up. I have seen a couple of them present with neurological signs um, because of high PCV. Uh, but that, that seems to be the, the less common way for them to present. Normally, they come in through neuro or, or medicine. And they're very challenging cases because at that age, it's very unlikely we're going to get them to, to normalize their shunt, if you like, to be able to control their pulmonary hypertension using something like sildenafil. And often those guys are, are about long-term management of erythrocytosis and uh, the, the degree of shunting. We've had some of those dogs live to 13 years old. Um, so yeah. it's not always a death sentence. But the key thing is identifying it and not putting them through MRI um, and actually, you know, not suppressing their erythroid line uh, with drugs, but actually trying to trying to manage their uh, their shunt as best we can. Yeah. How often do you see those right to left PDAs and these more complex diseases, Jose? Do you, do you, I mean, I, I think I probably... You see a few a year, uh, maybe three, four a year of the right to left PDAs. The complex diseases, it's hard to put a figure on. We, we see them every month, I think. More in cats, as you were saying. More in cats. Yeah, again, it's a puppy, a puppy podcast. But what you were saying is important. <laughs> cats, cats may present with congenital advanced complex congenital heart disease at middle age, and so it's important maybe to add that to our uh, last episode that some murmurs in cats may also be associated with congenital heart disease. Sure. But as you were saying, the, the big three, it's important to recognize the big three. In terms of congenital heart defects, those are by far the most common defects that everyone will see in primary care settings mm. and, and referral practice. And then also rare stuff like cortria, triatum dexters. Oh, uh, sure. I completely forgot about murmur, those. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and then of course, ASDs will not cause murmurs. Right. Um, you mentioned the AVSDs and just if we would only have, of course, the type uh, type of uh, primum or secundum ASDs, mm. sinus venosis, any ASD would generally not be associated with a heart murmur. But those are rare. Those are. I, rare, I don't think we rare. see those isolated ASDs really in in, in this yeah. country. Certainly in practice, I know Sonia Gordon and, and the team at Texas A and M have published on on closing mm-hmm. these ASDs. A lot of poodles, a lot of standard poodles in the uh, ASD um, group there. Um, so they've got great experience of that. I've closed one um, in, in my career so far. I think we don't see many isolated ASDs. If I get a referral from a primary care vet who's maybe put the probe on in sort of a triage echo and gone, oh, I think there's an ASD, I always think, okay, statistically, it's much more likely that we would see an atrioventricular septal defect or, or, or something more complex than just a simple ASD. Echo is challenging and diagnosing yeah. congenital heart defects uh, is is very very challenging on echo because of course we are dealing with small puppies that will be uh, will be moving all the time uh, right. with sometimes very abnormal hearts and requires a very thorough assessment and then assessing the intraetroseptum as you were saying is very challenging sometimes the the inflow from the cord or cranovena cava may mimic a left right ASD so mm-hmm. we have to be very careful as as you were saying we may have Patent for amenovalis associated with with pulmonary stenosis or right other yeah. right sided diseases. 
I know there are going to be vets out there listening to this who are thinking, well, why not use some cardiac biomarkers? If we've got a heart murmur in a, in a puppy that presents and we, we're not quite sure, is it a two, is it a three? The owner will spend the money for a referral, but they're not quite, you know, if they need to, that they will spend the money. But they're saying, well, do I need to? I read on the internet about a cardiac blood test. Do you ever use cardiac biomarkers in these congenital diseases? Do, do you think they're useful? Honestly, I generally don't. And uh, I don't, to be honest, I don't really have much experience with it. We we, ran, we randomly receive cases with, again, is a referral bias where we yeah. there was a, there was a murmur and a very loud BNP and and we see those cases. Um, and so it makes sense if if there's marked cardiac remodeling, increased wall stress, increased wall strain, that BNP will be increased. Do you know uh, what I, that, that makes sense? I just don't think I've seen that. I, yeah, I think yeah, I have yeah. seen high, sure. Yeah. But I, I saw a Labrador, I remember, um, with shocking tricuspid dysplasia, huge right heart. I mean, it was, you know, massive, massive right-sided cardiomegaly. Dog was in right-sided heart failure. Its NT pro BMP was 400 or something. I, I mean, you know, just not not high and not not really flagging for me. We, we published a... Um, uh, a study a couple of years back on um, on using a tenolol in, uh, preoperatively in dogs with pulmonic stenosis. That's not the point of what I'm saying. The point is we ran cardiac biomarks. We, we ran troponin in those dogs and we ran baseline. We ran it after treatment and then we ran it after ballooning and none of them had a high troponin at any point. So so these were dogs with, with bad enough congenital heart disease to undergo uh, minimally invasive surgery. Some of them were in heart failure and their troponins were basically normal. Yeah. Um, so I... I, I think that maybe some cases will push the cardiac biomarkers high but if i see a high troponin in a young dog with clinical signs or an arrhythmia or a murmur i'm thinking about myocarditis actually much more likely than it being related to congenital heart disease so i'm not sure they're very useful in congenital heart disease but we're in an evidence vacuum really here aren't we that there's there's no paper out there on, on this um but my feeling is they're not very useful the second question that i was thinking of you know, from the point of view of primary care practice was about the triage echo and I mentioned that, you know, we see cases sent by, by primary care practitioners locally who, where they've, they've heard a murmur, they've put the probe on and they've gone, oh, looks like a massive right heart. I'll refer it. Do you think that's something that could be in the toolkit for practitioners uh, to use if they've got a bit of comfort doing, say, lung ultrasound or, or, or POCUS in a dyspneic patient? Do you think they could extend those skills to, um, to 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 young dogs with murmurs, or do you think there are any pitfalls there that that would make it something to avoid? Vet more and more vets have experience at doing uh, um, point of care ultrasounds, mm. so I think it it would be could be worth it for, for them to do it. But I'm I'm worried that these again these are very challenging to to scan these puppies, and then of course if you see a gigantic right ventricle. That could be a tricuspid dysplasia or very thick right ventricle for pulmonary stenosis and so on, uh, or a big left ventricle right. And um, but still, you need you need a thorough echo then to stage the disease and to understand yeah. is it indicated to go ahead with a minimally invasive procedure. And so, if if the owner has no, I, I don't know, just just thinking out loud, if the owner would not have could not afford referral or was not sure mm. about referral, and then a POCUS would show. LVH, RVH, a big left ventricle, then maybe that that could help the vet saying, discussing with the clients, and there is there is structural heart disease, and we need to to refer it for for a full echo. Um, so, but, but again, right. I think it works better. A vet found something in a pocus. Anyone finds finds something in a pocus uh, that could help. Okay, this case needs to be referred. But then, if you find nothing in a pocus, I, I 
I would still be worried that there might be something significant that was just not possible to see in a yeah. very brief standing echo. Yeah. So I think if we think of it as like a um a diagnostic test, like a like a blood test, yeah. people talk about yeah. sensitivity specificity. Precisely, precisely. So I guess it would be quite specific in yeah. a positive, a huge yeah. right heart, a massive left atrium, uh, or or I don't know, pleural fluid, pericardial fluid might rule it in. That would be specific, uh, but it wouldn't be very sensitive. So a negative wouldn't rule it out. Um yeah. I think that's how I feel about it. Um, I, I do sometimes see false positives, if you like, where a vet's put the probe on and gone, oh, the right heart looks massive. And actually, I would say I echo and it looks normal. And, and probably they were just a rib space too cranial compared to where our standard views would be, or their angulation was just a little bit off. So, that you know, that there's so much operator dependency in echo, but I think there's a place for it. Um, and I think it can maybe maybe it can help persuade those owners who are sort of yeah, sitting on the fence. Oh, I'm not sure. He looks fine to me. If the vet puts the probe on and says, oh, his right heart is bigger than his left, okay, the owner comes to to, to, to see a cardiologist. So, so maybe that's the place in which they could uh, reach for that as a sort of um, screening test. Great, great. I think that's about all we have time for on this episode of The Animal Heartbeat. Jose, thank you very much. It's uh, It's been emotional. <laughs> thank you. And uh, see you all in our next episodes. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're looking forward to some uh, some guests down the line. Um, and uh, if anybody out there wants to follow us on socials, um, we're on Twitter and Instagram at heartbeat underscore pod. Um, and, we, you know, we're going to tweet some images of the things we're talking about in these podcasts when the podcasts are released. So you're going to be able to see the examples of things we're talking about. And uh, also, that's your opportunity to get involved with us and to put any questions to our forthcoming guests. We will announce them on the socials as we go. Uh, so thank you very much for listening and um, please remember to uh, subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks very much. Bye now.